Hey, this is G here from the G and Coletti Show, and today is our first episode of a new segment called Based on a True Story, where we bring you interesting and amazing and inspiring stories of people's actual lives. So the first one we have is from a guy named Daniel Cleland, and he named his story From the Matrix to Ayahuasca. So I just want you guys to sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Hey, it's Giovanni here from Collective Evolution, G and Coletti Show. We have a very special guest today. Um, I don't know where I should say he's from because he's from a little bit all over the place, but he's from Pulse Tours, um, currently residing in South America. That's that's one of my areas. One of your yeah. areas. Very interesting guy who's going to share his story today on uh, on this new episode called "Based on a True Story." So, Dan, let's let's start right from the beginning. Thanks for coming to the show. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood, and then just take us through um, why we found your story so interesting. All right. Well, uh, not not too much of interest in the childhood. I grew up in a small town about two hours north of here in Toronto. Uh, the town's called Walkerton, Ontario, small rural community. Um, had a pretty good family. I mean, of course, uh, a, a few childhood kind of issues which may have carried over into uh, adulthood, but nothing too severe. Um, did high school in Walkerton till I was 18. Didn't really see much of a city until I went to college in London, Ontario, when I was 18. Okay. Uh, so nothing, nothing too crazy, nothing too out of the ordinary there. All right, cool. And so from there, I guess, you went to college or sort of groomed for the corporate lifestyle. Tell us about that and, and how that sort of led into the next few years of your life. Yeah, so uh, like any high school kid, you're kind of, you know, you've got these, this advice coming from, from the top, you know, from, from parents, from teachers, from guidance counselors. At the, in your last year of school, you get this college uh, calendar or, or, or brochure, so you're kind of flipping through these pages of the, the college brochure, wondering, what am I going to do with my life, mm -hmm. you know? How are you supposed to decide that when you're 18 years old? looking through a book, you really have no idea what's out there in the world, you have no idea how it would actually look getting into any of these jobs that you're potentially embarking on a four or seven year uh, study program to, uh, to go into doing, you know. So um, at the time my, uh, my father was working at the uh, nuclear power station in, uh, in Tiverton and he was in technology and, and I knew that was kind of you know, at, at that time, I wanted to do something that appeased the, you know, my, my superiors, my parents. And, um, and so I, I signed up for a computer programming uh, course in college, which... Sounds like it gives you a lot of options, you know, computer programming. Computers are always a good thing, I guess, right? Yeah, now that was back in 2000, and so, you know, the, the scene is a lot different now. But uh, I ended up going, uh, going into that program. I did it for about a year, and... Didn't really quite jive with it so much, so uh, I switched over to electrical engineering technician. Did that for a year. Uh, didn't quite jive with it so much. Did electronics. Wasn't too into the bench work, you know. So the fourth year of college, I pretty much just like assembled a few courses from all those and uh, and just got out with like a certificate that I don't even think I collected. It was just like piece of paper for on the wall somewhere. I just had to get out, you know, yeah. and, and get out into the world. And I think it's a very common uh, story for a lot of people that are just going to college because they feel they have to go and Absolutely. taking courses that they think they're going to use someday. And how much of your college uh, schooling do you think you've actually put into practice since you, you've come out of there? Well, the technical skills I learned 
Not very much at all, uh, but I did, uh, you know, some of the theory, some of the electrical theory and, uh, and technology, I, I have, you know, uh, leverage some of that okay, coming up okay, so you know some value there that's and potentially some more you know i'm getting some some i'm, I'm leaning towards some more technological uh, projects right now but okay, um, we'll come back around to that sure um, so so tell me after that so what happens you you got a job you're ready for the workforce so i remember one of my teachers in my uh electrical course told me one day he said you're so full of shit you should not be a technician you should be a sales guy and I actually, uh, coincidentally, I applied for a, a air quality technician job coming out of college, but it was actually, once I got there and checked it out, it was actually a sales job. And uh, I did okay, you know, I did all right. It was kind of easy um, to make a, a, a good paycheck, talking to people, communicating, sharing ideas. And uh, so I, I ended up getting into sales at the residential level which then morphed into the business to business, small business level, which then eventually got into like the industrial level. So I thought I had a pretty good thing going, you know, I, uh, I got a, a car, you know, car payments using some of my uh, uh, technical uh, knowledge. It was a- uh, It's one of the benchmarks for success as, as you're growing, it's like getting your own car and having a car payment, right? It is, right, it yeah. is. I guess it, it's, was it was it long lasting that sort of feeling of success or was it more like okay now I got a now I got a payment to make or when you got that car the first time do you remember your first car? Oh yeah, yeah. it was a Kia Spectra two thousand five. I was pretty stoked about it. Um, yeah, and uh, I can I continued on that kind of path, uh, growing with the company, and uh, there was just like something that was kind of intrinsically lacking in that. You know, like I found myself in. Uh, in the the program so to speak i was i was working i had my payments i was paying rent and i was kind of doing the nine to five grind um and i was i couldn't help but thinking like is this all there is like do i just i just do this until i make enough money to buy a house and then buy a house and then you know get married and have kids and settle down it's like it, it just wasn't enough and then i i had a real issue with the two-day weekends and like the one or two weeks a year of vacation it was just kind of what did that feel like like how can you describe the feeling of that is there is there any way because I know a lot of people feeling that frustration yeah you know frustration and just like um what is it you just kind of question it like is this is there is this right you yeah. know like what like it just, yeah. it, you kind of lose that enthusiasm for life, you know, yeah. just waking up Monday mornings, you know, there. like you hate the morning, you, you want to stay in bed, but you can't. You can turn the dial 20 years and be that same Monday morning working up, she can be a little bit more grayer, a little more balder in my case. And then, more responsibilities. You know, just 20 years went by and you yeah. look back like, what happened? You know, just filled that same routine. Exactly. So, so how does one sort of go from that and, and make a change? I think that's what a lot of people, like what, what happened in your case? I started traveling. Um, you just picked up one day and took some time off work and... Well, you know, it was actually, um, yeah, it was, it was a long time coming. You know, I, I kind of it was just craving like a sense of adventure and challenge and just like breaking out of routine, you know, novelty. And so back in 2006, I decided it's time to, it's time to make a trip. And I had this, this pull towards Brazil. I don't know why, whether it was the beaches, the jungles, the hot ladies, Something the good music. Brazil, yeah. it's, it's just that like gritty, like, oh, Brazil, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
it just had everything I was looking for in an adventure. So I planned a trip for myself independently, a six week journey. It was over Christmas and New Year's 2006, 2007. Um, and, you know, I actually, in the planning process, I really discovered that, like, I loved the actual, like, the lead up to the journey. It was researching, like, planning, where am I going to go, looking at the different hostels and hotels and events and learning a bit of the new language and just dreaming and anticipating. And then I went on this six-week trip, and it was, like, just everything I could have asked for and more. So Brazil seems like a scary place to most people. There's a lot now of bad is. press. Is it? Is it when you went? Was there any fear going to an unknown place, or were you more of the adventure? Like, take it, take it as it goes. No, it, it was still a bit dodgy, like at night, you know, and and there were still places you wanted to avoid. I saw, I saw, like in Rio, I saw a dead guy laying on the middle of the street one day, and then uh, you know, like later on, as I was traveling there in, in the subsequent years, um, you know, I've, I've heard gunshots go off in a crowd of people and you know I've, I was traveling some people who got robbed with a you know knife point and stuff like that so back then it was dangerous to an extent I think now the crime rate's a little bit higher because the economy's so I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend traveling there are to places Brazil. you can go to break free that's still adventurous and not so dangerous oh yeah, yeah. there's there's lots yeah, yeah. lots yeah. South America is a great place uh, you know maybe Colombia is a better place to go now than Brazil Certainly not Venezuela. Um, Peru's good, you know. Cool. cool. Ecuador. Okay, so so you get you have this six week incredible journey, and then so then I get back to Canada, back to my old job. Uh, I was uh, I was uh, living in Calgary, and it was the middle of January. So I come from this like beautiful, balmy, beachy paradise in Brazil, and I was like, you know, my days were like running down Copacabana Beach, you know, my board shorts and. And like they had these little workout areas along the beach, so you could run a couple hundred meters and then do your like bar dips and your push ups and your sit ups nice. and then keep running. You know, it was awesome. And uh, and you know the parties and everything. I was actually working as a bartender at this rooftop hostel bar, like making caipirinhas, and uh, it was it was just awesome. And then I get back to Calgary in January, and I don't know if you've ever been to Calgary in January. It's cold. Yeah. Like, I mean, you have to, I mean, they put block heaters up, uh, or sorry, outlets uh, in the parking stalls so you can plug your car in so it doesn't freeze. Um, so as soon as I got back, I was, and going back to my old job, I was even more convinced that I needed to do something different. I was not cut out for the standard, like, you know, just routine, nine to five grind program. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, you're just making enough to like pay the bills and, and barely break out of the program, like barely get ahead. You know, a lot of people are struggling to make enough money. So within a couple months, I just started applying for jobs with tour companies that were traveling to Brazil. And I kind of lied on my resume a little, I, let's say, fat, let's say embellished, embellished my, my ability to speak Portuguese and Spanish, because that was a prerequisite, of course, for getting a tour leading job in South America. Um, but I ended up getting through the interview process, and within a couple months, I was down in Guatemala training to become a tour leader for uh, G Adventures, which is a company based here in Toronto. Really awesome company. Um, so my training, we, did, we went through Guatemala, uh, Belize, Mexico, and then they passed me in the first round. I ended up doing a shadow trip in Costa Rica with, a, with another trainer, and... 
Then I was a tour leader. I, uh, uh, so the next like year and a half of my life was me living out of a backpack, um, guiding groups of like 15 people through Costa Rica, Panama, Venezuela, Brazil, Argentina. Were you saving any money, making any money? Or yeah, just... actually, uh, the, the company, um, I mean, inherently that job doesn't cost a lot of money because the company's paying for your hotels, you get a food allowance, you get a salary. Um, and, uh, you know, the, fortunately, you know, the, the participants, the passengers on the trips were oftentimes generous with tips. So I ended up traveling for, you know, a year and a half through all these different places I wanted to see. And by the end of it, you know, I I saved a few thousand dollars. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what the the changes from that normal nine to five. Now you're doing tour guide, you know, can you, can you make that? Can you support yourself? And I guess... You can't let go that fear, you know, if I don't do this, I'm not going to make it doing something I like. Yeah. So what happened after that? You, you found yourself traveling to Australia, I think you mentioned? Well, so, so basically, um, traveling all of these paradisical places around South America and Central America, I discovered uh, some, even in the most remote places, there were still issues with, like, garbage mm-hmm. and, you know, social inequality and, and all this kind of stuff. So... I wanted to do something a little more valuable uh, to the world to help like rectify some of these issues. So I went back to Canada and uh, and started studying. Uh, I studied environmental studies, sociology, um, these different types of things. And after a year of studies, I found myself on a field trip to Australia to do a conservation study and then continue my studies there in environmental uh, sciences. Uh, things got off track while I was there. Uh, it was right after the financial crisis, so uh, it was very difficult to find high-paying work, uh, especially with the type of uh, traveling visa I had. So uh, I ended up uh, deferring my studies three times while I was there because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't pay for it. Um, and in the meantime, I was working like door-to-door sales with really, fr- like really kind of desperate cash-only, commission-only kind of jobs Mm -hmm. that travelers would get to help uh, supplement their travel costs, but not really save up to actually go to school. So so that led to a bit of a period of of, um, confusion and depression and desperation, uh, which culminated with, uh, with one Friday night I was out and uh, out at the the nightclubs and, and came back home a little bit early, feeling a little bit restless. I went down to South Bank. It's a park on the Brisbane River, and there's this 20-meter cliff called Kangaroo Point. So I'd often see people like climbing up it with uh, uh, ropes and harnesses and helmets and spotters and all that stuff. And I was down there by myself, and I decided to give it a try. So uh, without any ropes or harnesses, no ropes, no harnesses, free climb climb in the middle of the night, wearing dress shoes, and uh, and. I got almost to the top, like I wasn't actually planning to go all the way up, but it was going smooth at the beginning. So, uh, so I tried to go all the way up, got about two meters from the top and hit a, a kind of like a point of an impassable overhang that I couldn't get, I couldn't get around. And, uh, I tried climbing down, but this it, is in the dark. This is in the dark. Yeah. So going up was a little bit easier than trying to go back down. Like with these pointy toed dress shoes was, was, uh, challenging. Uh, it was impossible, and so I, I kind of uh, started to panic, and 
there's only one way to go is either like try to jump to this one lip that I thought I could maybe get my hands around or like I don't know sit up there and tremble until until I hit the ground so I jumped and I fell and uh, like shattered my femur and my pelvis it was uh, it was pretty uh, rough like compound fracture I've got a big scar right here where the bone came out and um, so someone found you there uh, yeah so luckily there were some people down there otherwise I probably would have uh, bled to death but uh, <clears throat> so there were some folks uh, down in the park maybe I think Friday night having a couple beers or something some teenagers they came over first thing the guy says is like holy shit man look at your leg <laughs> I'm like I know uh, you want to call me an ambulance and so they did uh, then I ended up spending a month in the hospital in the trauma ward so like exoskeleton for the first week or so then they did a big surgery put titanium all in my leg and pelvis and uh, and during that time um, you know I had a lot I had a lot of downtime time to think and I was already familiar with ayahuasca uh, because I'd read about it in, uh, in Daniel Pinchbeck's uh, 2012 The Return of Quetzalcoatl plus I was following uh, Reality Sandwich at that point and uh, I thought that maybe ayahuasca could help kind of get me out of that rut you're taking painkillers also Mark? I was I was taking so many opiates it was crazy like um, it was almost like a dual purpose because the, I mean, I needed the opiates for my pain because my whole body was shattered uh, and cut up. But um, for me, it doubled as like, it was also pushing out my kind of depression and my dissatisfaction with my life circumstances at that point. Um, so that kind of was a bit of a band-aid on a, on a bullet wound, but it, 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 it didn't help for long before it actually started making the, problem, the problems worse. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I had all this stuff going on. I kind of like, at one point I wrote my journal that it felt like there were little balls of garbage just orbiting around my head, like, like negative thought programs or whatever. Just things that were like sabotaging my, my life. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, I, I, I was aware of ayahuasca, I was afraid of ayahuasca, back then, it was five, no, six years ago, and um, it was even like further beyond the mainstream awareness, you know, and, uh, and when people talked about it, it was like this super intense, psychedelic, you confronted all your demons, and, and you know, I was afraid of what demons I had inside me, so... Um, Anyways, I decided that like I needed to to do something. I needed that out. You know, I needed to try something. I, I, otherwise, I was borderline suicidal. And uh, so I decided. I mean, it, it took me a couple months to heal in Australia. I was on crutches for a while, and and um, and then I, I decided to to quit Australia and go back to Canada. And on the way back, I went to Peru. To, uh, to find ayahuasca. So long story short, uh, ayahuasca, even my, on my first ceremony, like I was lucky, not everyone gets a huge hit in their first ceremony, uh, but uh, yeah, it just, it just like went very deep on me. It, I purged like everything that was just 
in there. Yeah. It just unlocked the floodgates and, and just, you know, I let everything out. Um, I, I just came to grips or came to terms with a lot of my own self-contempt. Like I thought, um, I just, I, I felt like at that moment, everything was perfect in space and time. And the only way I could have gotten there was if all these other mistakes I'd, make, I'd made, had, which were perceived mistakes, had led me to that point. Like climbing a cliff face and dress shoes in the middle of the night by yeah. yourself, you know. It sounds almost crazy. Like, it sounds almost like, how could you possibly have even thought of that? But from a bigger picture, it was like, that's exactly what you needed to get you where you are today. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I could have looked at that trip to Australia as a huge mistake or looked at it as as the the turning point in where, my... Where would you have been if you didn't go there? Who well, knows, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, I probably would have continued my studies in Canada, finished the bachelor's degree, and then who knows where mm -hmm. I would have gone. Um, it turns out that actually that three years of life experience that I got in, in Australia and plus the, the two years after that in different uh, international scenarios actually allowed me to get acceptance into a master's program, uh, which I completed. So I kind of bypassed the bachelor's degree and just went straight to the master's by utilizing that life experience. So nice. I'm in the same place I would have been if I would have completed that bachelor's degree in time, but in space, probably not. Yeah. You know, so okay. So you have this crazy ayahuasca experience, life-altering. I'm guessing absolutely shifts you in, in ways you couldn't even imagine. Yeah. So and, and then you have this. What what happens after that? So basically, the first thing that happened was I wrote a very explicitly detailed account of my experience, and I sent it to every contact in my Hotmail contacts list, and that included like family members, like teachers, like whatever anybody who's ever known me got that letter what was the response like um fear like you know especially my, well, most of my family members just thought i was i'd gone off the deep end like i was you know down in the jungle doing drugs and and like you know had completely fallen off the wagon my parents were concerned that what i was drinking was like poison or something like that um so I did get a little bit of negative backlash from that, but the point was very simple for me. It was, this is a very special medicine, and I think this can revolutionize people's lives like nothing else, and so it was my job to just get the awareness out there, and I wasn't afraid of being a little bit uh, controversial, you know, so, so I started talking about it a lot. Everyone in my network knew what I was getting into. I started posting research on my social media and stuff. Um, and I started moving toward that path of ayahuasca. So within about six months after my first ceremony, I had accepted a, uh, a volunteer writing job at a center in Peru for a month. So I did a month-long diet there, wrote about it on a blog, and uh, it just helped deepen my understanding of the medicine and helped you know, me promote it more and kind of get into writing about you know, my experience and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and in that month, I started getting ideas of how I could build a facility. It wasn't necessarily supposed to be just an ayahuasca center, more of like an intercultural integration center with, with uh, ceremonies and kind of touristic activities and a little bit of education as well. Um, but that ultimately was the formation of the Ayahuasca Adventure Center, which is the, the retreat center we now 
run down in Peru. So uh, it just kind of cleared out my thinking and I had all these different experiences, a little bit of technical, a little bit of business and sales, a little bit of tourism, and it just allowed me to bring all that together. And instead of picking one pigeonhole job, it was like, oh, I can like take all my skills and do something that I'm passionate about and that helps other people and, you know, and break out of the program. So people who are stuck in the program now, you, how do you think they can find out? Because I think a lot of people are not sure. I don't know what I, can, what I want to do. I don't know what I can do. You know, how can people sort of use some of your story? You think an ayahuasca trip, just getting out and going to the jungle for a month can help people to sort of refocus their life and see what... What, what do you think? Like, how can people sort of... What, what do you think people can do that are feeling how you felt before you sort of... Do they have to go to Australia and break their hips? Something, something <laughs> no. crazy like that? Is no. that something? It depends what's holding them back. Yeah. Is it something personal? Is it something like energetic? Is it related to trauma from the past? Or, or are you trapped in bad relationships or cultural programming? Then, you know, yeah, ayahuasca can help you break out of that, help kind of. Uh, I liken it to, you know, if, if you're a car and you're driving along and you've got a whole bunch of stuff like stuck to the vehicle. You know, um, you're catching air. It's slowing you down. You know, you're not really you're not really driving in a in a efficient manner. So I watch and kind of help knock that stuff off. Figure that up for you. So you're you're like a bullet. You know, um, but then there's also uh, there's also the cultural side of things. So if you're kind of stuck in the same place, same routine, following the footsteps of your forefathers, who you know really you know, our generations above us, they, they didn't really have the opportunity to kind of get out and see the world and, and have all the access to the world at their fingertips. So travel is a way that you can break out of your nation-state culture, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of get out there and see the world. And even if you're not making a lot of money, that experience is invaluable. And when you're out there in the world traveling, you know, you get all kinds of ideas. You have that time away from your culture to, like, really dive into alternate thinking, alternative thinking. Uh, so that's one way to do it. And then more on the pragmatic side of things, there's billions of ways you can become an entrepreneur these days. You can start little companies for next to nothing. Um, you know, you can get out there, you can, you can do things on the internet, you can find ways to make passive income. You can, there are ways practically, pragmatically to earn a living doing things other than the standard pigeonhole job that, you know, you, you get by searching on the, you know, Human Resources yeah. Department of Canada job website or, or like, wherever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So there are options. Yeah, so you went on to write a book. You want to tell us a little about that, the book you wrote about your, some of your experiences? Tell yeah, us about that. absolutely. So a couple minutes left, but yeah, tell us about your book and okay. what you're doing now. So I wrote a book, it's called Pulse of the Jungle, and uh, it's, it's really using my story the last 10 years as, as the backbone, uh, as an inspirational guide for seekers wishing to transcend culture, explore the world, and make an impact. Um, it is also themed on ayahuasca, but instead of getting into the science history or ideology of ayahuasca, we basically use personal stories from seven other people uh, besides myself who have had major life changes as a result of ayahuasca. And it's not like, here was my psychedelic trip and in every detail, it's like, here's what I did over the course of a couple years while working with the medicine, how the medicine helped change my life. And Mm -hmm. there are some psychedelic trip accounts. 
Um, Michael Sanders. Uh, uh, he's been uh, on the podcast, yeah. Michael Sanders, yeah. He's a well-known friend uh, of Collective Evolution. Uh, he's one of the contributors, Guy Crittenden, another local guy in the spiritual community here who's an environmental journalist. So really uh, the motivation behind the book is to give people an inspiration. And I also provide some of the tools and resources and mentors that I've used along the way to uh, help give me the skills I needed um, to, to become effective in the world awesome. of entrepreneurship. Awesome. And if you want to get your book, how can they get it? I'm running a pre-sales campaign right now uh, for the rest of October. It's at pulseofthejungle.com. And uh, there's, they, the, the pre-sales come with all kinds of cool perks and stuff like that. Discounts for ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Yeah, one for sure. Cool. And, um, and the book is scheduled to be published uh, first week of December. So it's coming out real soon. All right, guys, please support Dan and his book. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. He's an awesome guy doing great things in the world. And I'm sure we're going to have him back to hear about some of the other cool things he's working on now. Thanks a lot, Dan. Really appreciate having you on here. Thanks, Gio. Thanks, everybody. Awesome.